So today I wanted to uh, just share a little bit with you, um, and the title of today's message is, is called Broken Record. Um, some of you are, are, are so young that you, you only, the only thing you know about records are um, when you see them like um, on the internet or something like this. There's some of you who are old enough here to remember uh, putting a record on a record player and, um, and any of who here recalls that, yeah, wants to admit that. Some of you are not being honest right now. That's okay. Uh, we'll pray for you. And have you ever had one of those times where, again, those of you who are old enough to remember this, you put a record on the record player and some, something was wrong with it. It was scratched or something, and it would play it, and it would play so far, and then it would skip back, and it would play that same you know, we had invented loops before loops existed, right? And it would just sit and it would just play over and over that same, like, that same segment. And I decided to title today's message Broken Record because really uh, I felt like it illustrated exactly what it is that I wanted to speak about today. And I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about shame. You heard me during the message uh, the ma last message we were in, talk about how uh, what, the, what the enemy does in our life uh, when he creates, um, when he attacks us, when he comes after us, when he exploits areas of weakness in our life, uh, when he leads us and tempts us and leads us down the path to sin, is he wants to create an opportunity for shame. Um, that's his entire purpose because he wants to, he wants to reduce the glory of God on the earth and you and I, being in the image of God, being the Imago Dei, we reflect or demonstrate the glory of God. And so what he hopes to do, what he wants to do, because he hates God, he hates you, and he wants to reduce the glory of God on the earth by reducing you or reducing your glory as an image bearer. And so the whole purpose of sin, or sin when it has its course in our life, really is to create or produce shame in us, and shame is like a broken record. It's a process that just repeats itself over and over and over again. The problem is, is that in our broken nature, in our sin nature, like the father of sin, Satan, what we have realized and what we have learned is that shame is a powerful tool. And so entire aspects of our culture are built around utilizing shame for the purpose of control. And we all understand shame is that, that feeling that you have when, you, when, when, when guilt exists in your life, right? When you're guilty of something, you, you feel responsible, you feel shame. But when shame is weaponized, it's utilized as a way to control people. And so in entire cultures on earth and throughout all cultures on earth, shame is weaponized in different ways to manipulate and to control people in the same way that the father of shame, Satan himself, has utilized shame to control people. After the fall, shame became constant and unavoidable for humanity. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that the first emotions that were recorded in Scripture were shame? 
Have you ever noticed that? That Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, the first thing that we understand or were told that they felt was shame. And from that point forward, shame was weaponized to control them and to keep them separated from God. As I talked in our last series, I talked a lot about, I talked a lot about shame because shame is the ultimate outcome of all kinds of sin in our life, in particular the kind of sin that I talked about during the last series. The work of the enemy is to keep us stuck in patterns of shame. To keep us stuck in patterns of shame that separate us from God, others, and even our true self. That's what he wants to do. That's what he did in the beginning, and that's what he continues to do. He creates patterns in our life that perpetuate separation. Ultimately, he wants us to be separated from each other. He wants us to be separated from God. And he even wants us to be separated from our true self. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20 says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I've read this passage of Scripture several times because it illustrates the state of what it feels like to be a human being. Paul is so just very, very clear about this. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do, um, but what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, and it is. It is No longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Paul describes very, very clearly this pattern of sin, this broken record of sin, this broken record of shame that exists in our life. The enemy of our soul wants to keep us stuck in that broken record of shame. He wants us to keep us in that state of almost confusion, that if you read that passage from Paul, it sounds like, wow, this is a confused individual. He wants to do He wants to do certain things, and he keeps on doing these things, and yet he finds that he keeps doing the very things that he doesn't want to do. Why does he keep doing the very things that he doesn't want to do? He says, the reason I keep doing the very things that I don't want to do is because ultimately sin is ruling in my heart. Sin is ruling in my life. What am I supposed to do about being stuck in this pattern? The pattern of shame and condemnation become the playlist of our lives that we can never seem to escape. I really am not going to ask for a show of hands this morning because I don't, I don't want to participate in shame. But I wonder how many of us feel like shame, condemnation, staying in the same patterns of behavior over and over and over again are the playlists of our life. Now, again, a lot of you can't relate to records, but you can relate to playlists on your Spotify's and your YouTube, and I don't even know what else you use. 
Playlists are the thing, right? You have a playlist, that playlist just is on repeat in your life. Unfortunately, unfortunately for many of us, shame, the result of sin is like a playlist in our life. It just repeats itself. I know what I want to do. I know what I should be doing, but I keep coming back to this behavior, this way of thinking, this way of feeling, this emotion, and it just seems like it's inescapable in my life. Well, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 to you uh, because this is that origin story that we were talking about. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. When you study anthropology or sociology, one of the things that you see as you talk about cultures and people groups around the world is what's called um, shame and honor cultures and fear and control cultures. The interesting thing is that as you study cultures um, and as you study people groups throughout human history all the way up until now, it's been so fascinating the way that shame and fear and control are connected. And when you read the story in Genesis chapter 3 of the original fall of the original sin, the first time that we see sin in humanity, it's so fascinating the way that you see fear, shame, and control connected to this, this instance that occurred when sin entered humanity. Of course, you have the opening manipulative conversation between Satan and Eve in which Eve responds to Satan's question that really wasn't a question, it was a ploy, it was a trap, it was an opportunity to entice her into doubt, it was an opportunity to entice her into beginning to doubt God's love for her, God's care for her, the authenticity of God's desire for her heart, 
It was an invitation to begin to doubt the very nature and character of God, right? It wasn't really the question he was asking really wasn't the question because when she answered the question, her answer to the question wasn't satisfactory. He pushed the question further. Do you see that? It's the way manipulation works. And so Eve gets into this, she's baited into this conversation with Satan. She can't satisfy because what he's trying to do, what he's attempting to do is to manipulate and to control her behavior to make the point that you can't trust God because ultimately remember what he's trying to do, what he's trying to do is create separation between her and God, her and Adam, and even the self that God created her to be and the self that she actually is. Ultimately, that's the purpose of sin and shame is to create separation. He can create separation by creating false questions, false questions about character and identity. So he lures her into this conversation, and he says, well, if you take of the tree, I can take of the tree. Well, not, uh, well, not this tree. Well, if I take of this tree, I'll die. Well, you won't really die. Well, what's the motivation for God saying that you'll die? It's because, it's because what he really thinks and he really believes is this. Are you following the pattern? And so she's caught in this situation where she has to make a choice. Either I trust God or I don't trust God. Either I'm obedient or I'm disobedient. And the moment that Adam and Eve go down the road of disobedience, they have, by being disobedient, you need to get this because this is the sermon within the sermon. By being disobedient, they are demonstrating agreement with the enemy that you can't trust God. The sermon within the sermon is, see, every time that I'm disobedient, I agree with the enemy that I can't trust God. Because every, every decision for disobedience is a decision to say, I don't trust you to be God and I'm not God. And in that moment that trust was introduced or distrust was introduced and agreed with, immediately, immediately what was there, there was shame. And then see what happens is, at the point of shame, fear was introduced. Bible says that Adam and Eve said, oh my goodness, we're naked. We're naked. They, their eyes became open. The opportunity for shame was introduced. They realized their nakedness. And so they went and they, they sewed fig leaves together and they hid. See, here's the thing. Offense needs fuel. And that fuel is shame. Offense needs fuel. And that fuel is shame. Shame is rooted in distrust. And distrust requires deception. That completely, that completely demonstrates what we see in Genesis chapter 3. Offense needs fuel. Remember, Satan had been offended by God's rule. He tried to usurp the throne of God, wanted to be God himself. And when he wasn't allowed to be God, he was removed from heaven. And upon being removed from heaven, he couldn't accept the fact that he was removed from heaven and had separation between him and God. He needed to find people to come into agreement with his offense. 
And so the only way that he could find others to come into agreement with his offense was to multiply his shame. The only way that he could multiply his shame was to multiply distrust. Because in the beginning, the reason that he said, I want to be God, instead of allowing God to be God and me not be God, is because he didn't trust God to be God and didn't trust that God cared and loved for him as a creation instead of the creator. And so what he had to do was he had to multiply his distrust so that he could multiply shame. Are you with me? And so in multiplying his shame, he created shame in Adam and Eve. And and then when he created shame in Adam and Eve, what came out of that was fear. Over and over and over again throughout human history and honor, shame, cultures connected to that is fear. The fear of being ostracized, the fear of being on the other side of dishonor and all of the connections that come. I wonder, I want to ask you a question. In your life, how many times have you made choices and decisions? How many times have you been bound in patterns of behavior or thinking that were completely connected to fear? Completely connected to the fear of what happens What happens if people find out? What happens if I fail? What happens if I disappoint someone? What happens if I'm not loved? How often have we been motivated to perform, not because it is our joy, not because it is the way we were designed, not because it is our identity. We've been motivated to perform because if we don't perform, we'll disappoint someone. This is hard for many of us, if we're to be really honest, because many of us grew up in homes and grew up in environments, maybe are still in homes and environments and even workplaces, where our entire motivation for doing what we do is not joy, is not fulfillment, but our entire motivation for doing what we do is to avoid shame. Avoid being the one that the boss is going to come down on. We work so hard to get the grade on the exam, not because it brings us joy, not because it's the fulfillment and demonstration of our intellect, our capacity, but because if I don't get the grade on the exam, I'm going to disappoint mom and dad. There's a difference between the way that Father God related to Adam and Eve and the way that Satan related to Adam and Eve. And what we see repeated over and over and over again in Scripture is that God was constantly calling his children into their identity while Satan was constantly calling his children into their brokenness. He was constantly calling them to a place to reveal and exploit their shame. Offense needs fuel, and that fuel is shame. See, all bondage, no matter where you're at, no matter where you who you are, no matter where you were born in human history, all bondage is rooted in a lie. The enemy of our soul wants to constantly keep us in a place of lie. When we, when we went throughout our, season, our, our series, in that, uh, that last series, a, a lot of what humanity struggle with, struggles with as it relates to uh, human sexuality is rooted in a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie about our identity. And a lot of what many of us struggle with, with patterns of sin and shame in our life, is rooted in 
in identity lies that the enemy has whispered into our ears and others have agreed with. And those lies exist to create separation. Despite, despite every effort by the Lord in your life and my life to create reconciliation, the enemy wants to do nothing more but to create separation. Deception destabilizes relationship. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy wanted to destabilize the relationship between God and man, and so he came in and he began to deceive. And that deception destabilized the relationship. And in my life and in your life, when I participate in or I believe or embrace deception, what I automatically do is I start to participate in a culture that is destabilizing relationship. And its ultimate purpose is to produce isolation, to isolate me from God, to isolate me from others, and to even isolate me from my true self. How many times, how many times has there been a barrier in a relationship with somebody in your life or in my life and that barrier existed not not even because of something that was true, but because of something that we believed or we embraced. Are you hearing me today? See, the enemy of your soul hates you so much. He wants to create in you need, doubt, fear, discontent, distortion, emo- anything that he can do, anything that he can do to cause you to not believe in yourself, to not believe in others, and ultimately to not believe in God. And the thing about shame is shame separates me from God and shame separates me from others. But ultimately, shame separates me even from believing in myself. I I think I was so burdened by the series that I shared um, last month and and just in general around this concept because in, I think, 29 years of, of pastoring and leading, One of the things that I've noticed that everyone has in common is this pattern of shame and the trap of shame and how the enemy just keeps repeating this trap of shame over and over again. And that's why I go back to that passage in Paul, uh, the passage in Romans where Paul talks about how that pattern exists in his life because what I have noticed is that is that we stay in this place. And I've seen people from various walks of life, uh, from different backgrounds, different homes, different places on the planet, would, for for all intents and purposes, have no way to know each other or be connected to one another. But I've seen these same patterns at work. And and then I trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where... People get stuck. I get stuck in a place where ultimately I just, I feel helpless. I feel like I'm going to be exposed. And if I'm exposed and if people, if people know who I really am, if they know what I've really done, then ultimately I'm going to be rejected. Ultimately, I'm going to be hurt. I'm so struck by the response of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve realize that they are realize that they are naked they immediately try to create a a, a way of covering themselves because they feel exposed right 
They start to try to manufacture a way of covering what they are now perceiving as their shameful parts. Talk about body image issues. Do you understand how this, where this comes from? They immediately begin to try to, and then they, they hide from God. And there's clearly this pattern, Scripture teaches us, of communion between God and man. It's a pattern of their life. And here God comes to participate in this pattern of communion that has existed between he and man. And when he comes, when I say man, I'm talking about man and woman. When he comes to participate in this pattern of communion, instead of responding to that, Adam and Eve run and they hide. And and when God calls out to them, they said, "We we were afraid. What is it? What is it in them? What is it in them that creates this this fear? And I wonder how often I have participated in perpetuating this pattern of fear. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. See, here's the thing about shame culture is that most often shame culture is driven around the idea that if you do or behave a certain way, you're going to deal with these consequences. Your family's going to deal with these consequences. You better be afraid. God's coming after you. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, this whole process, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full blown, gives birth to death. Understand what is death? Death is separation. Shame cultures use fear, fear of being ostracized, fear of rejection, community rejection, family rejection, and then ultimately in religious cultures, rejection by God as a tool to control behavior. And yet, everything that we see in Scripture Get this, everything we see in Scripture paints the opposite picture of God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ran and hid from God, and God came looking for them. Let me me ask you a question. Do you think God didn't know they had sinned until they came walking out from behind the tree wearing their latest fig leaf ensemble? No, no, he was fully aware that they had sinned, and yet he still came looking for them. Oh, you got to you gotta get this. He was fully aware of their guilt, but he did not participate in their shame. You got to get that. He was fully aware of their guilt, 
but he did not participate in their shame. In fact, if you keep reading from Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had tried to piece together a covering that wasn't quite working. And so, oh my goodness, you have to get this. So what the Bible says is that God took a lamb. The the first emotion was shame. The next emotion was fear. The next thing that happened was sacrifice. The father took his own. And he sacrificed to cover shame. This is the heart of the father. The heart of the father. I know culture. I know society. I know everything you've been taught your whole life is expose shame, participate in shame, perpetuate shame. But the heart of father God from one cover of scripture to the other cover of scripture was not to push man toward shame, but was to cover shame. Don't you understand that all of the gospel is all of the story of God saying, yes, I know exactly what you you did and yes I know you can't do anything about it so here let me take off my glory and let my glory cover your shame this is why I'm so this is why I'm so passionate about what I preached last month this is why I'm so passionate about that Romans passage this is why I bring us back to this over and over again because so many of us are trapped in this performance orientation. We're, we're, we're trapped with this record that just plays over and over and over in our head. Demanding performance. Demanding perfection. Controlling behavior. And what scripture teaches me, what the law of Moses teaches me, is I can never be enough. I can never do enough. I can never be perfect. I'm going to struggle with my flesh. I'm going to struggle with sin. As a follower of Jesus, I have a choice to make about myself and about you. I'm either going to agree with the accuser of the brethren, or I'm going to agree with Father God. I'm either going to agree with a mindset and a mentality that tries to manipulate and control and coerce and force performance. I'm going to agree with Father God with love and mercy and grace. See, here's, here's what I know. The same measure that I measure you by is the measurement that I'm going to be measured by. That many of us are so tormented Many of us are are caught in the broken record of our life. We're caught in the broken record because we're committed to measuring other people by a measuring stick that we're incapable of being measured by ourselves. And we want mercy and grace for ourselves, but we want condemnation and law and correction for everybody else. Or then there's some of us who want mercy and grace for everybody else, but we heap condemnation upon ourselves. There are two different kinds of personalities. There are some of us who externalize our grace toward others and internalize our condemnation and agreement with the enemy. And then there's others of us who internalize our grace and peace 
and demanded of others, but externalize our condemnation. And I believe what we learn from Scripture is that, is that we need to understand where temptation comes from. We need to understand where that pull, where that pull towards behavior and that pull towards mindsets and that pull towards things like I talked about last month and any other issue that you may be stuck in or that I may be stuck in, that it's not God performing some sort of uh, dramatic show through human, human history and I'm, I'm his little test lab rodent over here that he's trying to make a point. No, that's not his heart towards us at all. God isn't going to tempt us. It's not what he does. We're not his plaything. He's not amused by us. And he doesn't get anything out of us failing or succeeding because he's already made declarations about us that are true about us, not because of us, but because of him. He's already stepped out of eternity and taken off his glory and placed it on us and said, I redeem you, I reconcile you. Yielding to temptation leads to destructive Patterns that create shame in my life. That's what James teaches me. When I yield to temptation, I participate in destructive patterns. And, and when I participate in those destructive patterns, what I do is I begin to agree with shame. Now, instead of my identity being grace and my identity being love and my identity being mercy, my identity becomes shame and I perpetuate that shame on others. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this worldly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what, excuse me, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this manner. See Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he, he was writing to a shame-based culture, shame-honored culture, Rome and Greco-Roman world at that time was very heavily a shame on our culture. And he was trying to draw the distinction between godly sorrow, between acknowledgement of guilt that comes as the Holy Spirit convicts us and a culture of shame that's only there to expose and to further enslave us. In that church, there would have been people from Jewish backgrounds. There would have been people from all kinds of different religious backgrounds. All of them would have had this one thing in common. You know what is right and wrong and we determine what is wrong and we're going to pound you to force you to follow the law of Rome and you better do what culture and law says you're supposed to do and if you don't do it, you're going to get what comes to you. The gospel. Again, you Guys, you have to understand why these people were killed. You have to understand why the church was persecuted. It was persecuted because it upended culture. It was the opposite of culture. It said no. 
instead of being stuck in this place where you're ruled by shame, because all shame does is keep you in this cycle of performance, of performing on this. Instead, instead of penance, God has called you to repentance. And they may, they may seem like they're the same word, but they're not the same thing. One word says you pay for what you did. One word says there's no way you could ever pay for what you did. So embrace grace. Because if you pay for what you did today, guess what? You're going to still be paying tomorrow. Because you can never pay. If you were a liar today and you made that lie right, guess what? You're going to be a liar tomorrow. You're going to keep paying for being a liar because you can't change on your own the fact that you're a liar. So you can do penance all you want to. And a system of shame just says do penance, do penance, do penance, pay, pay, pay. Repentance says I'm not capable of paying I'm not even capable of changing, so instead, I surrender. I surrender under the covering. I surrender under the covering of a God who changes me. Or I'm, I'm not a liar anymore. I was a liar, but I'm not a liar anymore. Does it mean that I won't ever tell a lie again? Probably not. But does it mean that Liar is no longer my identity? Absolutely. And you could go through any slothful, lazy, inconsiderate, hateful, any, any issue that exists with us in sin. The thing about repentance is repentance means I surrender. I surrender this broken part of myself. Not that I'm not held accountable. Not that I don't have to deal with the consequences. No, absolutely not. But I surrender it. It's not my identity. You can never pay enough. And as long as you're trying to pay, you're going to get stuck. You're going to be stuck with a broken record. Guilt, shame, condemnation. God is not calling you to penance. He's not calling you to pay. He's calling you to repentance. And repentance means I come, I surrender, I acknowledge, I acknowledge my brokenness and my need for a savior. I acknowledge my brokenness. I acknowledge my need for something outside of myself to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Say, Jesus, here I am. I need you. I need you. Many of us, from our subject from last month, other things that we've talked about, perhaps things I've even mentioned today, many of us have to come to a place we stop allowing the enemy of our soul to keep us in the cycle of shame. Shame is not from God. Do we feel shame because of guilt? Yes. The enemy wants you to hide from God when you feel shame. God comes looking for you when you're guilty. That's the difference. 
God pulls you to himself. In fact, get this, the scripture teaches us, the scripture teaches us that you can't even come to God unless he makes a way for you to come to him. That's what he's done for you. Just like he came looking for Adam and Eve, he comes looking for you over and over and over again. Let me give you just a little, you may, you may still struggle. Okay, how do I know when it's, when it's healthy conviction and when it's condemnation of shame? It's really simple. It's a simple rule of life. What leads towards relationship and reconciliation, that's healthy conviction. What leads to separation and destruction of relationship, what leads to condemnation, that's shame. What leads to life, that's conviction. What leads to death, that's shame. Your life, my prayer for you is that you will allow, that you will allow the Lord to begin to expose to you the areas of your life where perhaps you're dealing with shame. Maybe it's been embedded in you from childhood. Maybe it's because you've made some choices and decisions that come with consequences and guilt. The Holy Spirit would reveal those things to you and instead of running and hiding, instead of trying to manufacture a way to cover it so no one will see, instead, my prayer for you, prayer for me, is that I will surrender those things to the Lord and say, God, I need your help. And then ultimately, that you would receive his help that you wouldn't walk out of here and take off the lamb's covering and put back on your fig leaves when you get in your car and go home. I know the world is wearing fig leaves and I know it's the latest fashion, but we can all see each other's shame. 